from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 362, and today's show is brought to you by Instabug, Privacy, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason. Hey, is this Upgrade, a podcast that I listen to that I'm occasionally on? You're completely back now. Welcome back to the I show. I am completely back. I guarantee that I will be on this whole episode and not disappear in the middle for a while. Probably. Probably. How would you know, right? You'd have to wait and see what happens. When I'm- Summer of fun? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Hashtag Snow Talk question comes from Mark, and Mark wants to know, do you use a screensaver on your Mac, or do you just dim your screen? Yeah, I use Arial like everyone else. Um, <laughs> it's it's fine. I you know I like it. I like to see it. I like to see it on the Apple TV. I don't know why I use it. I don't know why I don't have some other screensaver or no screensaver. I just do. It's it's on for a very small amount of time. Um, it I, I've got some sort of window in between when it dims the screen entirely where the screensaver runs. I my my answer is. Uh, Mark, yes, I can tell you I do. Uh, why I do, I don't know. I think it's more like a mistake than something so else. I have what no, is Ariel? I find no value on it. Ariel is the the one where it flies around and shows you the you know the the scenery, the international space. Is the Apple TV screensaver? Is the Ariel screensaver on your Mac? Yeah. Is this built in? Is it or or did or did I maybe? I think if I think you've got an app called Ariel A E R I L maybe because they're not built into the Mac. The Apple TV screensavers. Well, maybe I downloaded a thing that lets you do the... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've got it. I've got Arial as my screensaver, and it's literally the Apple TV screensavers, so... Okay, I'm going to put in the show notes what I think you have, which is... Oh, a, you're right. Yeah, I, so th- this is how little care I put in to my screensavers is. A million years ago, there was a story about how you could get the Apple TV screensavers on your Mac, and I downloaded the thing and uh, promptly forgot about it. Mm-hmm. So it's there. You can get your Apple TV screensavers on you. But I'm going to invalidate this whole Snell Talk question now by changing it to something else, maybe. Okay. Or or not. I did Arabesque for a while, which is like all the weird pl- patterns. And of course, back in the day, Flurry was the classic. But really, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I I don't see it very often. And then my screen blanks after a short amount of time. So I've got show screensaver set to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I've got to turn display off to an hour. So for half an hour, if I step away, which I'm very, you know, rarely gone, but yeah, I am gone sometimes for an hour. That half an hour, it will play the aerial screensaver. In uh, in in Monterey, I can do the the that cute little hello screensaver. Was that in Monterey? I think so. Yeah, because I have it set. I have that one, the hello screensaver, on my iMac, set after yeah. twenty minutes. And that is the, it's the color matched screensaver that comes with the new IMAX. Right. So mm-hmm. I didn't, so I have that. I have that set for 20 minutes. I've never otherwise would have a screensaver, but I really yeah. like this screensaver and it comes as default on these Macs with the color match one that you're using. And uh, it fills me with joy whenever I see it. So I do have that uh, on there. So I, I, while we're talking about screensavers, mm-hmm. And I used to be a big fan. Um, I I was on the screensaver beat briefly at Mac User when I when I started there. I wrote about After Dark and all of that back in the day. Flying toasters, all those things. Mm-hmm. I even judged. They had a contest for like people wrote uh, screensavers, and and the After Dark people had a whole contest of like what were the best 
submitted screensavers, and I was a judge in that. <laughs> Things was, were really was, different back then, weren't it they, Jason? It was yeah. a wild time. <laughs> uh, people were people very excited about screensavers. And then there was underwear, which was the screensaver that ran on your desktop while you worked. So stuff happened on your desktop. Right, yeah. While that's you worked, which was a pretty wild thing. But the, the screensaver, my favorite screensaver of all time, and I used it for a very long time. It doesn't work anymore, as far as I can tell. It is... <laughs> And I, I liked it because it was funny and because it also made a statement about bad network security. It was a screensaver called Surveillance Saver. And basically what Surveillance Saver did is there were whole networks of webcams in, and this is in the, I'd say, early 2000s, where they're internet connected security cameras. And if you didn't change the p default password, anybody could see what was on the camera. And Surveillance Saver had a catalog of all of them and would just oh God. take you to random security cameras. Every 20 seconds, it would flip to a different one. And it, it first off, that's hilarious. Like, don't do that. But the thing that I, I loved about it is that I, I think in the end, its list wasn't that large. And so you'd get favorites. And there was this bar in somewhere in Russia. And I loved that camera so much because you you flip and you're like oh we're in the bar and it would be like these russian guys like with their heads down on the bar like passed out or maybe they're maybe they're active and they're moving to the music or and you never know what you're gonna get uh there was also a lot of like a corridor or a dumpster outside <laughs> some building that was also I thought very, very funny. But anyway, Surveillance Saver, that was from a different time. Although we still live in an age where people have the default password for things. So it's not, not great. It's not great. Sometimes you truly never know where a snow talk question you, is going to take you. It's true. You never do. It could take you into uh, the flying toasters for all we know. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag snow talk or use question mark snow talk in the Relay FM members discord so jason let's just uh do a bit Hi. of summer of fun here you were okay. gone last week where were yes. you as was revealed i, I think in the upgrade plus mm -hmm. um uh, and you never know when you're doing so we recorded my portion of that episode last week two weeks ago right after we recorded episode mm -hmm. 360 mm -hmm. um upgrade 360 your high quality audio we didn't even talk about that right no, <laughs> like we got because we didn't we got several people who wrote in wrote in uh after we released our our lossless edition and our incredibly low resolution edition we had several people uh, write in to say oh man the lossless edition it sounds so much better you should always do a lossless edition and my response was i think probably what you're sensing is that you're listening to it like in a web browser instead of in in overcast with voice boost and smart speed turned on and so it sounds different not that it sounds better although there is at least one emailer who who has insisted that it does sound better on his ipad speakers which i find also a little bit hilarious that like oh yes Really, you have to use an iPad speaker for the true lossless audio experience. I don't know. Anyway, thank you to everybody uh, who wrote in about our little uh, ironic experiment. There but, was uh, more people who downloaded those files than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. I kind of assumed it would be like 100 people or something. I'm actually going to look right now. I haven't looked since like the first couple <laughs> of days. But um, let me see what we've got here. Uh, it was kind of for each one of them. It was about 3,000 people went and did that, which I think is 
kind of hilarious that that many people decided to go and check out our weird and wonderful audio for this. And the low resolution one where it's like you're listening to it at the bottom of a swimming pool is amazing. (laughs) It's so bad. Uh, That one's so bad. I was so pleased about how just how bad it was. So, um, Anyway, after we were done with that episode, we recorded my portions of 361. Uh, we talked about the streaming services, and we did Snell Talk, and we did Ask Upgrade. And then you, over the week, you recorded in the middle. But what, what's funny about that is that you're making promises about the future. So it's like, oh, Jason, where are you today? <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, on a beach in Hawaii, probably. And uh, and then we finished doing Upgrade, and I literally then I got in the car and drove to the airport. So... Uh, that was my my Monday two weeks ago. Uh, it turns out that on that following Monday, I was indeed at one point on a beach in Hawaii. So uh, we it all it all worked out. We went uh, we did a family trip. My daughter was down from school for a, a few weeks after the um, the school year let out. She's going to go back up to Oregon, but she was she's uh, been down for a few weeks. And we went for ten days to Maui where you went on your honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Kihei, which is the sort of sunny beach town part of Maui. Um, and uh, yeah, 10 days. I've always thought, I very, usually my my vacations are that long, are not that long. And um, this is the point where somebody said, uh, I think last week I saw a tweet went by that said, uh, you know you're listening to an American when they talk about a 10-day long vacation as being a long vacation. I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm not denying it. But I like, always have felt like the 10 days is is where you get that sort of, you're able to fully, fully kind of unclench from your life and be there and and let it be, kind of wash over you. If, like, it doesn't really matter. We're here for a while. Um and I, I, I was once again reminded that that's actually true. That after a week, it feels like we just got here and now we have to go. After 10 days, I would have, don't get me wrong, would have liked to stay longer. But mm-hmm. it was also like, okay, we had a good time. That was really nice. And it was, uh, and so, so 10 days, haven't done that in a while. Um, I, I like Maui. We were there two years ago um, for what was essentially my daughter's graduation from high school trip, but she broke her foot. Um, while she was dancing oh my God, in I her dance that. class. Yes. And so that was our trip to Hawaii where we couldn't walk anywhere because she couldn't, she had a, she was in a, like a boot, like in an, the ugly shoe, we called it. She was in the ugly shoe. <laughs> and so, uh, so she, we go to the beach, but she had the ugly shoe. Um, so uh, this was kind of like a replay of that because we had such a great time and we w- wanted to go back. And also this time she wouldn't have a broken foot. And, uh, and we did have a great time. So, like, I love Hawaii. Um, it's my favorite. And, you know, you, I go there and I'm like, oh, man, I built up Hawaii way too much. And it's not going to, it's going to disappoint me. And you know what? It never disappoints me. It really doesn't. It's warm and breezy. And, and going in the summer is a little bit weird because as a kid, my parents took me to Hawaii a couple of times, which is why I fell in love with Hawaii. Uh, but there, you know, when you're leaving the cold and rainy, going to Hawaii, it's like, oh, my God, this is so much better. But the truth is... Um, this time of year here where I live tends to be foggy and cool. So it was a treat to be in like actual summery kind of conditions for that 10 days. So it was really nice to, uh, to be there and to, to get away and to not bring a keyboard. I didn't bring a laptop. I didn't bring my iPad keyboard. I didn't bring a microphone podcaster tip. I didn't, didn't do that either. I didn't edit any podcasts while I was there. I posted a couple of links where I'm like scrolling through Twitter and I saw something interesting because 
you know, I do have a website. And the first week I was there, Dan Morin was also on vacation. Mm -hmm. So it's like sixcolors.com was just abandoned for a week. So like I pre-wrote an article the previous week that posted and Stephen Hackett wrote his members only piece that week. And I, I, I posted a couple of links from there and it, it was enough to like keep the fire uh, burning while we were both gone. So um, I did that, but that was about it. And it was, it was what I said to Lauren is... I'm not going to do anything that I really consider work, but posting a link to six colors is like, pff, that's not, that's nothing. That's, it's not a problem. That's that, that those posts tend to be, that's as easy as doing a share button. And it's like replying to a tweet. Like it's, it's that level of, of difficulty. So that was pretty easy. So yeah, it was great. I would like to talk to you about your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like you were punishing me it for some reason. So I t really, so I'll give you, I'll give you an ex I'll okay. give you example of what happened here. So just as we're finishing up our recording and I say to Jason, I really pleased for you. Have a great time. I can't wait to see some photos. Right. Uh huh. And like, yeah, okay, great. So Jason goes on his trip and then a couple of days in, he posts a picture of some chickens, chickens. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'm looking forward to the better <laughs> pictures the next day. More chickens. Like, chickens. You're, you are in one of the most beautiful places on yep. earth. All I want is oceans and beaches and like yeah. mountains. And you're just like two, especially one of them is like one of the, like you basically, I don't know what you did, like 10 times optical zoom on this chicken or something. Uh -huh. Like yeah. why, why, were you, why were you nagging me with chickens for three days? <laughs> well, what was one, that? <laughs> one of the things that I like about Hawaii is, especially since the... Uh, the hurricane blew through on Kauai, but even on Maui, this is the case. There are mm -hmm. loose chickens everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Like when you're eating outside and stuff, there's just chickens everywhere, especially yeah, in Kihei. We, went, we found that. Yeah, we went to a shave ice place and um, there were just like uh, roosters and hens and little chicks running I think around. I know that exact place. So I think we had mm -hmm. shave ice there. There's a beautiful the really cafe nice there. shave ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and so they're cute and they're fun and I took pictures of them and... Um, I'll tell you, it's a side effect also of being with the Apple Watch, where I'm not always... So Lauren brings her phone with her, but I didn't bring my phone with me a bunch of places because right. I have my Apple Watch. Look and that you. means I can't. when I don't have my phone with me, I can't take pictures. And I can't post pictures on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that was that was part of it. Okay. I did get a, I did finally get around to posting actual finally. nice <laughs> pictures. But <laughs> but the first few days it was uh it was just chickens. It's Basically true. for two days it was just me at home screaming to Adina, he's posting more chickens. That was kind of all like mm -hmm. I was very frustrated. Well we went by. so we went yeah, we went to Lahaina to the banyan tree <laughs> banyan tree in Lahaina and there was all these chickens around there and I took a picture of that. And then we were on a, a little walk on a beautiful, just absolutely beautiful um uh, by the coast and all of that. Uh, and we were in the, on this resort that's kind of under construction. And so you have to walk through this different path to, to go around the shoreline. And they have this, it's essentially like a putting green kind of quality grass. And there's these benches and we sit down to take a little break on our hike. And, uh, and in front of us, there are a bunch of chickens. And so of course, have I taken a picture of the, uh, of the beautiful scenery? No, but the, look at those chickens. So I took another chicken picture. So, I'll, I'll make I'll endeavor in all future vacations to post chicken pictures for you, Mike. Thank you. I'll appreciate mm -hmm. that. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. How did it feel to actually to take a break? Were you <laughs> you know, we were you ang anxious in any way? Like, how did it feel to to take that trip? I I mean, 
I felt like I really needed it. I'm like, like it, it, as somebody who works at home and very rare, rarely leaves my house, uh, and we've done a couple of, of trips during COVID where we went to our friends who have a, a rental in Sonoma for a couple of days where they had nobody else going. And we just sort of slid in there for a couple of days. We did that in September and we did that in, in February. But it, And being somewhere else was nice, but like it's been quite a while since I've gone away somewhere and just sort of not worked. I can not work here but it's not a way. <laughs> and I've gone away to like visit my mom and I've also worked, but to, to get those two things together, it's just, it reminds me that, um, that vacations are important for me just to get away, um, mm-hmm. and to kind of heal a little bit. And with, uh, with the pandemic, it's been, it's been impossible to do that in, in certain ways. I think also one of the things that I was thinking about is the difference between, a an isolation trip and and a kind of not isolation trip like this is not we didn't go to a place where there's no internet right like and part of that is a decision that i made which is i mean first off there's the reality that like my kids would mutiny if there was no internet <laughs> but also for me like i i want to read stuff on the internet too like that's not that's not the burden that i bear as a person in the 21st century it's like i want to read that stuff too i want i i i'm not trying to get away from that part of it mm-hmm. i'm trying to get away from the grind mm-hmm. so i was on twitter and i was in slack and i saw what people were doing and people were talking about and so you could make an argument that like there's a whole other level of vacation that is this isolation and you know i I could do that, but that was not, I didn't feel like I needed to do that and I didn't bother. Um, and I was okay with that. Like I, 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 uh, I don't know. Cause I, sometimes I feel maybe I've just got an internal judge, but sometimes I feel like I've internalized the, the judging of the internet, which is like, well, you're on vacation. Why are you looking at Twitter? Why are you in Slack? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I like those things. Those are not the things I'm trying to heal from and yeah. escape from. Um, reading about like the soccer or you know watching the baseball all-star game or seeing what's going on or watching you know Disney plus or like I'm not trying to escape those parts of the world really I'm trying to escape the grind of doing podcasts and writing articles and doing all and scheduling things and doodle and all of those things that I do I am you know I'm trying to to step off of that and not bring a keyboard and all of that so what I found um, about Hawaii which I found um very enticing when I was there is the time zone mm-hmm. makes it really difficult to do any work even if you wanted to it's true because you're far it's... away from from everyone you know yeah like this time even, this time of California. year it's three hours behind California so it's mm-hmm. just as far behind California as California is behind New York that means you're six hours behind New York and of course that means you're 11 hours behind the UK and mm-hmm. 12 hours behind Western Europe so I yeah like Everything already happened by the time I woke up, and I was not waking up. I was not trying to wake up early either. So as the week went on, like everything had already happened, and everybody was back asleep. And then in the evening, everything was kind of quiet on Twitter until the 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 British people um, woke up. In fact, a funny thing about about my Monday two weeks ago is we did upgrade, then we did part of the next upgrade, 
Mm-hmm. Then I went to the airport and I traveled and I did all of this stuff and and we rent, rent our car and then we drive across the island and we check in and we 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 stop by the grocery store so we have stuff to eat in the morning and all of that and we finally sit down and I sit down in our condo and I open a beer and I open Slack and I think hey hey Mike <laughs> and yeah. you were awake because it was already up. Tuesday morning yep. yep yeah that was really funny to me <laughs> it was a very big long Monday for me uh-huh. um. And so long, in fact, that we did a podcast. I got on a plane, I traveled, and all that. And then you had you had slept <laughs> and woken up, and it was Monday morning or Tuesday morning because that's how far away Hawaii is, and and that's a nice thing too. So I see the value in the kind of like total isolation thing, but it's not what I was looking for, and um and I got what I was looking for, which is again, I didn't have to write any articles, didn't have to record any podcasts, didn't have to edit any podcasts, didn't have to do my what I consider my job part of my job. I just got to kind of not, there's just the freedom of kind of not caring (laughs) of like, I can get up whenever. I don't have a reason that I have to wake up at a particular time. I don't have to go a particular place. And I also read like eight books. So there was that too. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very pleased. They weren't all like full, like thousand page novels. Mm -hmm. There was, I've been going through a bunch of uh, the Hugo Award nominees for like short fiction and stuff. So I read like five novellas and uh, a handful of novels too. And it's just, you know, the, nothing better than sitting on the beach and you read a little bit and then you go in the water and bob, bob around in the warm water for a while. And then you come back out, sit on the beach, read a little bit more. Oh, also, uh, app, speaking of my Apple watch, I did at one point just, I was sitting on the beach, listening to the waves, had my AirPod pro headphones in uh, pass through mode. So I could hear the waves and stuff and was listening to Connected <laughs> while sitting on the beach. Uh, that was pretty fun, actually. I, did, I did, decided I didn't want to read anymore. I was a little tired of reading at that point. I just wanted to kind of look out at the at the clouds and stuff, but I wanted a little more stimulation than just the sound of the waves. So I had the sound of the waves and the sound of Connected. Perfect, really. What a mix. Living yeah. the dream. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased for you, very jealous. Uh, I hope that I can have a similar trip some point later in the year. I hope so. That would be nice. Next week's episode, we're going to do a Mike at the Movies. Well, we're going to talk about Loki. I really want to talk to you about Loki. Uh, So you can, if people want to finish Loki before next week's episode, they can. And I'm Mm -hmm. naturally assuming that we will not be able to stop ourselves talking about the opening of Ted Lasso. So I figure that will probably come into conversation as well. So if you want to catch up by next week's episode, there's a couple of things for you to go and listen to. Let's check out that next week. Are are we done? Is that it? Is this how the podcast works? Nope, we continue from here. You have oh. to, I'm afraid you have to stick around. I have to do more than one segment? There's, there's way more than this. I have a lot oh, more for you man. today. I need more tea. All right. Let me give you a break then. This episode is brought to you by Instabug. Building mobile apps presents some challenges from bugs and crashes to performance issues. It can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you could not only detect all of these issues, but understand the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all of the insights you need to build quality applications through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback, all in that one SDK. So with Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your application as perceived by your users, engage with them by letting them report issues and questions right from inside your app, and get all of the information you need about any bugs, crashes, or issues, and fix those in record time, all with a focus on privacy and security. 
and you don't have to worry about switching to new tools. It only takes a minute to integrate, integrate Instabug into your application and it will fit within your existing workflows with support for Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk, or whatever you use to handle your issues. So it just sits right in the middle really nicely. Join over 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship their high-quality apps. Go to try.instabug.com slash upgradefm. That's try.instabug.com slash upgradefm to find out more. There'll be a link in the show notes too. Our thanks to Instabug for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Jason, I have some Apple TV Plus news for you. So much. I was collecting links. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was another thing I did while I was on vacation. Is that there, were, there was all this news, and I was like, oh, There's man, we're not going to cover this and upgrade for two weeks. Two but weeks. I just kept adding. We, have, we now have a little shared uh, Apple note. Mm-hmm. And so I just I keep seeing things. And instead of uh, pasting them into our Slack chat, I just append them to the end of the note endlessly. And there was so much Apple TV Plus and upstream news while I was gone. So we got to get to it. So the Apple are possibly attempting to require the film and TV show A24. A24 produce a lot of stuff, a lot of documentaries, a lot of movies, some television shows. And they already have an existing deal with Apple, which has included some stuff that's already come out and some movies and shows that are in production. And but this is a rumor that they might actually buy the, the studio itself. It seems like A24 is attempting to put itself up for sale. And apparently, right. uh, according to Variety, um, it, this was something that they had potentially looked at in the past, but A24 seemed to not be interested then, mm. but seemed to be now interested. Uh, the potential asking price is $3 billion. I have no real uh, sense as to what that, equates to when it comes to entertainment industry acquisitions. You know, I feel like I'm much yeah, more clued into tech stuff. Three billion seems like a lot of money, but I guess if you get a lot of IP out of it, maybe it's worth it. So my question is, I, mean, I don't even know if it's the intellectual property. And this was, this was the question about when we talked about uh, Reese Witherspoon's company, right? Hello Sunshine, the same rumor about Apple being possibly interested in that. Mm-hmm. Is like, well, what do you buy when you buy a studio, right? Like, Apple already is sort of booting up a studio. I mean, I guess one of the things you buy is you buy uh, you buy talent in the sense of the people who work there and the machinery of the studio. So maybe it's a way to build and grow a studio fast. Um, you do get whatever they've produced, you know, archivally and whatever they've got in the works. But that would be my question for people... Um, who are more in the know, mm-hmm. which is like if you've got an independent studio that's got a catalog of a small catalog of films, but like not a franchise or anything that you're getting out of it and not a huge catalog, you know, when you spend three billion dollars, two or three billion dollars, is that is that what tech people would call an aqua hire? Are you really just trying to build out your studio ability and and you're willing to pay for it as opposed to just spending money hiring people um which you could also do like that's that's my question is we've we've seen these stories about apple potentially buying this stuff and i think apple's clearly kicking the tires here but i do wonder if some of this is just a perception thing of like oh man apple's got a lot of money maybe we can get some of that money right (laughs) like it's sort of wishful like maybe they will uh acquire us because i do think apple could just not right 
Apple could just keep building out its own studio structure. And in fact, instead of spending $3 billion on a studio, spend that money on hiring away the talent and paying them better, right? You could do that and you could build a studio. Buying a studio doesn't mean all those people are going to stay, right? That's the trick, right? Is they could do like certain people, they could do it where there's like a a, a, a deal, right? That, yeah. Where they get they get money if they stay for a certain period of time. But that's not going to be everybody, right? So like that's that's my fear about something like this is you're kind of buying an empty box, uh, and at that point, like if if because I look at this and I think, well, A24, it seems like a nice company, but like I don't understand why what they produced, assuming that they, they have ownership stake and all of that stuff, that doesn't seem like it's worth it. And maybe they like the executives there, but I'm not sure that's worth it when you could just spend that money to build up your own thing. So that's that's the struggle I have with this and the Hello Sunshine. Hello Sunshine, at least, it's sort of like maybe Apple just really likes reese witherspoon and her sensibility and the and the work she does hello sunshine one i understand a little bit more because it reminds me a bit more of beats because you get look if they buy hello sunshine reese witherspoon is going to work at apple for a period of time right like that just feels like a a, a done deal and hello sunshine has been is, is got a really great reputation they already have multiple projects in the works. And like if I'm Apple, I don't want another company to own any part right. of the morning show. And that might be a scenario too where they're like, we love what Reese's company does and we love working with her. And so we're what we're going to do is we're just going to own it all. And then, and then the other question is, do you own it all and fold it in? Or do you say, we're just going to own it all and let it run? And all of those projects are going to come to us first, mm-hmm. and 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 if we sell it somewhere else, well, it's us, so we still get the money. But like we we just want to be in business with that person and that company that the person has built. Like I get that, and so maybe that's also the case for something like A twenty four. But I just I struggle with it a little bit because if it's somebody who's really good and has built a good system, and you think like I don't want to mess with it and I don't want a competitor to buy it. So we'll just buy it and let it run. I kind of get it. But if it's literally just, we could build it or buy it. Why don't we buy it? Um, other than if Apple just wants it to happen fast and they're like, we can just sweep in a 24 and a 24 becomes part of Apple studios and we're done. Mm-hmm. Also a 24 presumably will be a processor in, uh, <laughs> in 10 years. So, because, you know, about this with the th- I was thinking, like, it must frustrate Apple that Ted Lasso has so many companies involved in it, and they're just one of them. Right. I mean, it is, look, they had to do this to get off the ground, but it is it is the least Apple thing of all to think that Apple's banner project, the most important project, it turns out, on Apple TV Plus at this point, is a Warner Brothers product. Well, see that Ouch. Ted Lasso. Why I bring it up specifically is it has, it's got Dooza, which is the production company, which is Bill Lawrence, yeah, Universal Studios and Warner Brothers all involved. <laughs> yeah, Universal's right? involved because of the NBC, NBC thing. thing. Yeah, but they're still a part of it. Yeah, and that's got to frustrate them. Where it's like they have one or two partners for some of their other shows. Right. But- of course. Yeah. For all mankind is Sony. Like, of course. There are partners, and that that's part of it. But like, I get why it's like that now, but it's not very Apple-like. Mm-hmm. And and I think that Apple wanting to produce more of its own things 
like how Netflix produces and Amazon produces its own things, it it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. I don't think Apple's ever going to be in a situation where Apple will never buy a show from another studio. That stuff happens. It will continue to happen. There are people that we're going to want to work with that are with another studio. It, it happens in that business all the time. But, you know, the big stuff on HBO Max is from Warner. And the big stuff on Netflix is from Netflix. <laughs> and the big stuff that's on Apple TV will be from Apple. It's inevitable. So th- that might be a reason for this sort of thing is we just got to get going mm-hmm. on on being our own studio and buying other studios helps helps us get there. So maybe that's their rationale. Apple is apparently trying to get in on NFL Sunday ticket. Yeah. What, what is NFL Sunday ticket? Okay. Uh, yes. Hello, <laughs> sports fans. <laughs> American sports fans, uh, NFL Sunday Ticket for is the package from the NFL that allows um, somebody to watch any football, any NFL football game. So the way it works in America is every NFL football game is broadcast by a TV network, but the Sunday games are only shown locally. And I know that seems a little bit weird if you're not an American, but the idea there is if you're in Cincinnati. Uh, one of your channels is showing the Bengals game and the other channel is showing a random game that they've chosen. Um, If you're in the Bay Area, one of your channels is showing a 49er game and the other channel is showing a random game. It used to be a Raider game. Now it's a random game, Um, which means that there's this, you can't, if you're a fan of the Bengals and you live in the Bay Area, you can't see your team play unless they're on a national broadcast. Because that game isn't being shown in the local market. Instead, they're showing the Chargers, let's say. So Sunday Ticket, you buy it, and you get all those games, access to all those games. So you can watch all of them. They, they, have, a, they have their own Red Zone channel, which shows sort of like switches back and forth between all the games. Or you can just park it on one channel and watch that game. Um, I used to buy this. Now I just get the Red Zone, but I used to buy this. It's an exclusive to DirecTV which is a satellite provider, which is a really interesting wrinkle. It drove a huge amount of DirecTV sales because they were literally the only place that you could get this package. But that uh, contract is running out. And the general feeling is that it's going to go to a streaming service that uh, the NFL, again, the NFL could sell it themselves direct. But, and I know we've talked about this before, why sell it direct and just get money from people when you can instead get more money from a streaming service that's desperate to use it as a cudgel to beat people with to force them to subscribe so basically as a consumer the idea is they will overpay for this service in order to use it as a a customer acquisition tool so apple being involved in it doesn't surprise me one bit um i think anybody who is serious about streaming in the u.s about live streaming in the u.s i guess i should say has to view this as a super important possible product because it will, I mean, the NFL is the number one entertainment product in the U.S. essentially. And this is giving you access to the entire NFL via streaming. It's a big deal. And in fact, if you're a sports fan and a cord cutter, presumably this this package might even give you everything um, and you wouldn't even need the rest of it. I'm unclear on what the local blackout rules are. So it's a it's a big deal. And we've talked about it here before. Sports is a huge, because it's live, it's a huge originally tool to be used by cable companies to keep people from cutting the cord. And now we're starting to see it switch, which it's also a tool for streamers to get people to land on their streaming service. 
if Apple were to get this, do you think they would? How would? Would you think they would obviously charge for it? Would it be included in the deal? Like, well, it's a good question. Like, would they make this like an Apple TV channel or an add-on? We haven't seen a an add-on for Apple TV Plus yet, right? But mm-hmm. this could be something like that, right? I would, I, I would have a hard time. I mean, Apple has all the money. They could do it however they want. They could make it a pure acquisition thing. It feels more like they would do a, uh, like the Disney plus premier access thing where there'd be like Apple TV subscribers and you have to pay a price to get it for the, uh, for the year. Cause I was looking at it because I don't really, and it's like $75 a month at the moment to to buy the NFL Sunday ticket thing on its own. I think if I look correctly. I yeah, I mean it's it's only for during the football season. My memory is that it's right. it's like a few hundred dollars to get it. Yeah. Okay. And you have to get a satellite okay, it's dish because it's only on the satellite, right? Like that makes sense. it's it's serious, right? I, I actually think this is also exciting because it's going to provide this service to more people than are currently able to even get this service because it's been locked to this one distribution mechanism. There's some there's some shady ways that well they're not shady. There's some ways that you can qualify to not get it on direct TV, but it has to be like literally I'm unable to receive a satellite signal and then they can sell you a streaming version of it. It's not from direct TV. Mm. Like it, it's it's a whole thing. So it, this is a big deal for Apple uh, or any other streamer if they if they want this. And I think the end result is going to be somebody is going to overpay because they're going to want to use it for customer acquisition, like I said. And retention. Uh, right, right. It's yeah. that idea of like, it's not worth it. It's no. not worth it to pay beyond this. If, if it only was just worth it as an entertainment product, I think the NFL would just sell it themselves and keep all the money. But they can get more money from someone else who wants who adds that value in of acquiring and it could be peacock it could be like they they had existing deals with most of the broadcasters like espn uh, nbc cbs so it could be a paramount plus thing it could be a peacock thing it could be an hbo max thing i mean it could be anywhere espn plus um but it, apple has been obviously apple is intrigued by the idea of sports and by the idea of of live events, not live TV and the sort of cable over the top cable replacement service sort of thing, as much as in the what if there was a live event thing. And they haven't really broken that seal yet, but I think maybe there are strategy people at Apple who think they're going to need to do this because this is going to be uh, an important strategic move to get people to subscribe to your service. Apple have done some new uh, deals with some large creators. Um, I couldn't think of a better word than creators, but I think it works. Okay. Adam McKay has done a multi-year first look for feature films. McKay is recently most famous for movies like The Big Short and Vice and is yeah. an Oscar winner. Um, McKay is interesting because you know, McKay had a long-term relationship with Will Ferrell and basically mm-hmm. made all comedy movies for a long time and great yep. ones and then started making really good and serious movies. So he's an interesting figure um, and has set up a production company of his own recently, uh, which is where some of these newer movies came from. And this, there is now a multi-year first look with Adam McKay is quite intriguing to me. Yeah, I'm unclear whether all of his work is from his company right. or not, because this is technically a first look deal with his production company. Mm-hmm. But I would assume that 
other than whatever existing deals he's got, that the goal here is to is to have his work come from this company. But first look is a big deal, right? Because that's basically saying um, if Apple wants it, you can buy it. Now I'm unclear. What I don't see here in the in the story about this is what that first look means in terms of theatrical release, because sometimes there's first look that means that Apple can buy it, but that part of the deal will be you still need to screen it in a theater. Right. Uh, and then it will go on Apple TV. And I don't know that, because, right? Because that's a different thing. Is is this Does this go direct to streaming or does it go to a theater and then go to streaming? I don't know that part. But it's another example of Apple getting in business with somebody who they consider, you know, a talented content creator. And this is Apple playing the HBO game to a certain degree, which they are absolutely playing the classic HBO. Like we said last week when I was pre-taped, being the old HBO and being seen as paying a lot, having money and paying for quality and wanting to create kind of a quality selection of content, not do too much, but have it all be of a, a certain level of quality. One of the ways you play that game is by tying in creators who you like and you think do good work. Also including Misha Green, who has also signed a multi-year overall deal for TV projects. Green is the creator of Lovecraft Country on HBO. Yeah, so she, this is interesting too, because her show on HBO just got canceled and nominated for a bunch of Emmys, which... It's so painful. She's been tweeting out like her her story outline or, or like the the headings of her story outline for season two of Lovecraft Country. And Lovecraft Country is it was a really good show, and it's now been nominated for all these awards. And HBO canceled it the week before it got nominated for those awards. I'm starting to wonder if the reason they canceled it when they did is so that they didn't have to cancel it after it got nominated for all of the Emmy awards. Mm. But uh, this is this is like quite literally Apple kind of coming in and saying, we know that HBO didn't take care of you, but we will take care of you. Uh, interesting. And it's Ted Lasso season, baby. This Friday, season two begins. And the Ted Lasso marketing machine is at 100% top gear full throttle right now. It is. So, it, season it is. two it is. reviews are out. I haven't read yep. any of them because I don't, feel the I've read requirement a to do it but uh at the moment it is a 100 percent on rotten tomatoes with 24 critics reviews so yeah it, it, the reviews are positive and say that it sort of picks up where it left off yes. um, for those people who are worried that its initial success might have an effect on it my understanding is that they wrote the whole season before there was any reaction to the first season the whole second season so the whole second season was conceived before they even knew that people loved ted lasso which is great uh, they were already on it um obviously they shot it afterward but they they were already writing it and conceiving it beforehand um so this is great by the way a note for people who are excited about ted lasso um, Apple is dropping the episodes one at a time. They're not doing their dropping three for the premiere and all that. They've already got a whole season of Ted Lasso in the mm-hmm. can for people to watch. So they're going to drop them one at a time. And I think they're 12 episodes this season. It's an expanded episode order. It's not Yay. 10 like last year. So it'll be weekly for, I guess, 12 weeks as it uh, rolls out. So you only get one episode at a time, folks. Now, because of the way that TV and awards work. <laughs> it's kind of strange because mm. now is when a lot of the uh, awards season is occurring for stuff that happened previously. So season right. one of Ted Lasso is now receiving all of its award nominations. It picked up 20 
of Apple's mm-hmm. 35 Emmy, nom- Emmy nominations. So Apple TV Plus got 35 Emmy nominations across its whole slate, including Mythic Quest, For All Mankind, and others. But 20 of those went to Ted Lasso. This makes yeah. Ted Lasso the most nominated first season of a comedy show in history, beating Glee, who was the previous mm-hmm. uh, holder of that title. Ted Lasso is also leading nominations in both the Hollywood Critics Association Awards and the Television Critics Association Awards. Uh, and again, the TCA also gave love for For All Mankind and Mythic Quest. Disney's got a bunch, you know, it's obviously a big story, but oh, yeah. Ted Lasso is leading the way in everything yeah, right the, now. I mean, if we pull back for the bigger picture, it's kind of funny too that the Emmy nominations, which... Uh, there was this whole story of like, oh, look, Cable is on the Emmys now. And then it was, oh, some streaming is on the Emmys now. And I think there's one network TV show nominated in the in the drama category and in the comedy category, and mm-hmm. everything else is on streaming. And it, it really is like, it's Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus and HBO Max. Um, it, 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 it has, it's really just sort of reflecting what now. reality is, yep. which is that it's all completely flipped over now. But the idea that uh, Apple, of all companies, has like some Emmy favorites at this point is hilarious. But I think that Ted Lasso um, is a favorite for a lot of these awards. I think that's uh, it, Apple's going to get some some real hardware. Remember when you and I would be like, "Oh, Apple just wants to get that Oscar." Well, they okay, and they 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 want to get those Emmys. It's like, all right, well. It's going to happen now. This is... Uh, that, this I is, think uh, yeah. Ted Lasso's cleaning up at the Emmys. I think I it's going to so. do really, really well at I the Emmys. I think it is. Like, probably at least 10. <laughs> like, they're going to win a lot of Emmys, which is they great. Um, they're also... Like, on all of this awards hype is just perfect timing for them because this is all happening. Like, if you don't... You know, like, if you hadn't heard of Ted Lasso, wasn't sure of it, now it's like, oh, like, this is really heavily awarded, like, or nominated. And it's just the season two is getting ready to begin. Mm-hmm. There have also been uh, some really great stories this week about how Jason Sudeikis basically just seems to be a lot like Ted Lasso, which is, again, just, like, only yeah. warming people to the idea. There's a really amazing uh, article that I don't want to spoil by Mike Ryan over at Uproxx, which is just really touching and really beautiful that I'll put in the show notes that people should read. Um, yeah, Jason Sudeikis. It's funny too because he played. He's played a lot of jerks. Like he's mm-hmm. he's the he's the strapping, you know, broad-shouldered white guy uh, jerk role in handsome, lots and lots charming, of like yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. He can, he must be a jerk, right? Yep. And 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 so Ted Lasso. Yes, it seems like it's much more. He is a much more kind of thoughtful, sensitive guy, and that Ted Lasso is channeling a lot of that. What I found funny, I'm not sure if it was in that Uproxx article or if in a different article, but somebody, somebody, several people have asked him, like, are you Ted Lasso? And he, his usual response is, well, I'd like to be. I feel like the best parts of me are Ted Lasso. But there's one interview with Sudeikis that revealed that he would use that line and then his friends would, receive, would see it and respond. And they would say, no, that's not right. You are Ted Lasso. Mm. So like the people who know Jason Sudeikis are oh. like, you're not giving yourself enough credit. So good. 
as a, as being a a good person. So that's also kind of fun to hear. I mean, and so. then he went again, like he did another. Like so, they had a, uh, a premiere for the show, which which Tim Cook attended, which is really interesting to me because oh, yeah, I think he's got Cook, his arms around Jason yeah, Sudeikis. I think and, yeah, he uh-huh. only attended the premiere for the morning show. I think they didn't really have a lot of premieres, but I know he attended the morning show premiere, and I could not find any. Uh, I was looking around for this today. I couldn't find any uh, other premieres that he seemed to have attended. Of course, he attended the Ted Lasso. I don't even think they had a premiere for the first season of Ted Lasso. Yeah. But at this, um, Sudeikis is, is wearing a shirt, which is in support of some English footballers who have received racial abuse after the uh-huh. uh, European Cup final, championship final. And so I, you know, it's just, again, it's like, oh, look, he's Ted Lasso because mm-hmm. he's just a genuinely good seeming person yeah uh, it's nice yeah really great and the show so. is great I, I and i think yes i think there's some truth in that 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 the show being what it is it is among all the other things that are great about it it feels very authentic i don't think people who were faking it could make that show yep so i love You're it right. looking forward to it friday or uh if you want to stay up late uh, midnight pacific on thursday you can tune that in you know we watched loki the loki finale yeah on Tuesday night when we were in Hawaii oh, because those episodes drop at yeah. midnight Pacific. And so at 9 p.m. on Tuesday, ha, why people, again, I'll just say it, hey, streaming services, you really should drop your shows at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's when you should do it. Come on. Come on. Do it then. Or Get just the do Americans. it so late that it has to be the next day. Right? Sure. Like that, you know, anyway. Uh, I also want to give that a was, recommendation- that was a for Schmigadoon, which is a new Apple TV Plus show that may have gone under the radar because the name is so complicated to think about, say, or like, this is the musical. It is a musical-based uh, yes. show. It is really weird and kind of cute and funny. Uh, it's so I like. I thought it. it was a movie, and it turns out it's a TV show. So that's one thing that I had that exact thing too. I, I, I originally I thought it was a had movie. no idea because it looks like a movie. The problem I have with the name is it's like so it's like Brigadoon, and I saw the trailer, and again, like I thought the trailer looked interesting, although I did think it was a movie. Mm-hmm. But calling it Schmigadoon, I feel like it's like too much. I think it's a bad name because it it it. First off, I think it's a hacky joke, and second, if you're really kind of playing a loving tribute to this to name the location of your show and name your show after this sort of really dumb Brigadoon reference is I don't know I think it was a, a creative um, mistake but uh, having give it heard a go. good things about the show I will give it a try it's yeah. it's charming and funny and weird uh, and the cast is superb right like the people that they've gotten uh, and I also, I, I, something about me that kind of likes when um, a TV show does something musical and then just hires a bunch of people that were clearly in musicals. Like, I just kind of like that. There's just something about it. it. It feels very authentic to being a musical. Like, the way that people move and talk, it feels like it's a musical. And, but what's funny is the main characters, they are not in the musical. So I, I recommend it. It's really good. It, it, it's okay. really, really good. This episode is brought to you by Privacy.com. 
Com. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. What it does is generates virtual card numbers for you. It masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. You know, you may have gone to a website and you want to buy a product, but you don't know the website and they have a checkout system that you're not sure of, and you maybe don't want to give them your card number. With privacy.com, you don't have to because you can create these virtual card numbers. You put them in. It's super cool. One of the things that I love as well is it integrates directly with 1Password. So as well as all of your card information that you save in there, you can create, use, and save your privacy cards all within your 1Password dashboard. They're all, uh, they have all the same security benefits, and you can set spend limits. You can create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want, and the merchant-locked stuff is really interesting. So you can create something, a card for, say, a company that you're giving $10 a month to. And all of a sudden, maybe they overcharge you. Well, you can stop that with privacy. You can set limits on all that kind of stuff so you never get overcharged. So you take back the control of your payments. You can decide who charges your cards, how much and how often, and you can close them super easily at any time. You make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice, never upgraded to another service. It is really, really cool. This is the kind of stuff that technology can do and just like take you that extra step rather than just having to worry about that little card number anymore. It's really smart. So go to privacy.com slash upgrade and you can sign up for an account today. New customers get $5 to spend on your first purchase, which is basically free money. Go to privacy.com slash upgrade and sign up right now. Thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. So considering we took our week off, I want to do a bit of catch up mm-hmm. time. All right. A lot of little stories sure. to touch on. It's a weird yeah, time let me of know the what year happened. as well. So beta three of iOS, iPadOS, and macOS Monterey came out. And the biggest changes is the Safari stuff. So a bunch of tweaks on iOS, but the most notable changes have been on the Mac. So on the iPhone, the address bar, the little floating address bar, now stays pinned to the bottom. It lives above the keyboard when you bring the keyboard up rather than flying to the top of the screen like it did before, which is kind of wild. And they've made some other little tweaks and stuff to to uh, iOS. But the Mac has seen the biggest changes. Have you been playing? Have you had time to check out the, the new Safari at all yet? Uh, only on iPad where right. it hasn't changed because it, it, that's the only beta I had with me. And, yeah. and so, no, I haven't looked at the, the other. The iPad had some tweaks, but not a lot. Like they, they changed some no. of the spacing and they put a share icon back in the in the kind of top toolbar, which is good. Yeah. On Friday, while I was very jet lagged, I did um, update my beta Mac to the new beta and took a brief look at Safari enough to say that while it's nice that they brought back the the address bar and all that i i actually think it's worse in some ways than the previous beta because the uh the tabs are completely disconnected from the content to the point where i can't tell which tab is active mm. when i'm using it yeah. like I, I think it's i think it's still really bad the good news is that it is a work in progress and you know it's it's that it's like the pr cycle for this is they announce it and they announce it with pride and then behind the scenes, I think some of us who who have been paying attention could tell that like even the PR folks and even the product manager folks, when they when they talked about it after the announcement, were not fully behind it. I, I just got a sense that that maybe maybe it was it, there was a little bit of uncertainty there. I, hard to quantify that, but that was the sense I got. 
And now we have, there was a John Gruber post last week where he basically said, talking to folks at Apple, there are more changes to Safari coming. So we've we've entered the second phase of this, which is essentially damage control. It's basically saying, I know that the initial Safari thing was really dramatic, but we're, we know that it's a problem and we're fixing it. And I would ask, why did this not all happen before you announced it? Why did you have to announce it and then have everybody yell about it? And now you're going to spend the summer trying to fix it. But it's encouraging in the sense that uh, that what Gruber is reporting is, um, according to people inside Apple, this is not the end product. This is they are now and it's very clear, right? Like they had time to do something on the Mac and nothing on the iPad, essentially, with this interface. So I think we're going to be spending the next couple of months watching Safari kind of drift from beta to beta and hopefully land somewhere decent. There's something I think about with this stuff is like, we'll get Safari, it will come out and it will be probably changed in some way, but much closer to what we had before than them, at least, at least on the Mac and uh, on iPadOS. I think it's going to look really different on the iPhone still, but they're just going to tweak yeah. it and make it a better experience. But it's, it's always so in I was finding it interesting to think like that WWDC keynote, it's like wrong now, right? Like yes. they should, it's like, here's Safari and here's all the stuff it does. But then by the time it comes, by the time we get Safari at the end of it, you go back and watch it. That's not the same thing yep. anymore. And I find that just like, it's, it doesn't mean anything, but it's like an interesting thought to me of like, you, you know, just in these three months, it goes from like, we had this, we've been working on this and we have this great idea and it comes out and, and it just, it changes. So- I've had this conversation a couple of times on podcasts the last couple of months where um, there's an argument to be made that one of the reasons that Apple sticks with features in the beta, even though that they're um, even though they're controversial, is because Apple believes in them. And sometimes the argument is that there's a precedent that is set like you announced it at WWDC so that that there's some sort of weight there on Apple to release what they announced at WWDC the way they did it. Um, I don't agree with that. As somebody who's been writing about um, in this beta cycle since they started doing it, where they announce a beta in uh, June and then they roll it out in September or October, I can tell you um, that beta amnesia is real. That nobody except the super wired in technology nerds even remembers other than the most vague sort of announcements if that from wwdc the truth is we can write about it all we like and talk about it all we like in june and july and august but most people are not paying attention until it shows up on their device or they're prompted to install it on their device in the fall and so i think apple if having to choose between um oh, this is going to be a PR disaster and people hate it. And yes, but the precedent of WWDC, they're always going to go with uh, damage control and getting a better product that people like better in the fall. And so I think it it is a weird historical document. It will be not what they ship. But I think the truth is almost nobody cares about what they announce other than us. And by the fall, we won't even care that much. So I, that, that's my argument is that I know that they, they put a lot into that. And, and it's a little bit baffling that they immediately were like, oh, yeah, that was a bad idea. Like, well, then why did you put it in the keynote? But the keynote 
it drifting away from what the keynote shows, uh, Apple's going to be fine with that because they just like really it's like mm-hmm. whistling past the graveyard. <laughs> it's like nope, nope. No, it, Safari was always like this. What are you talking about? And they're just not going to even, like, WWDC is forgotten, right? That's why they restate OS features in the fall. And those of us who follow this stuff are like, yeah, yeah, yada, 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 because we've heard it all before, and it's like a rerun. But the reason they do it is they know nobody else was paying attention, and if they were paying attention, they didn't remember. So, they, they, you know, but when it's on a new iPhone or a new Mac, then it's a big deal for them. MagSafe battery pack has appeared into mm. existence. It is $99. Uh, it is just a little battery brick that you stick to the back of your phone with MagSafe and it will wirelessly charge for you. Uh, there is Apple recommends a 20-watt charger for the best performance, but this is, of course, sold separately. But any charger will do will recharge the, ch- the battery pack in your phone if you have them together, but it will just take a bit longer to do it. Um, it appears to have a slightly smaller or not so slightly smaller battery than the previous cases that Apple made, like the the, the battery charging cases. And uh, somebody uh, has been posting images on Reddit, I think, that they pick one up from in Memphis. So I don't know if I don't know if Stephen is involved. Probably not, but who knows? It is a person called Stephen. So I don't know. Maybe hmm. it's actually Stephen Hackett. Sure. Uh, of this one and I'll be honest I think it looks super ugly like it looks really weird uh, but it kind of what does it matter how it looks it's just a little battery that sticks on the back of your phone it, it may, I think it doesn't help that this person had a Max they had a, the 12 Max uh, which I think it looks super weird on that. You'll notice in Apple's uh, marketing materials, they do not show <laughs> uh, what this thing looks like on the largest phone. It's just on the two smaller phones. I think that might be uh, for a good reason. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, oh, actually, they've updated the marketing materials. Actually, there is one with the, on the Max phone now, but it doesn't look as bad as the images that I've put a link to in the show notes. <laughs> um, what do you What do you think about this product? It's not for me, and uh, that's kind of the end of that. Like, yeah, I okay, no so I'm gonna. For it. I'm going to go with with you here and just say I it's also not for me. I have heard from people who are very excited about it yep. who talk about the the ease of not having to have a a cord or anything mm-hmm. and you just you just attach it and it almost fills your battery but you know and and like okay if what you want is a super clean and simple this is a blob it, it it magnetically adheres to the back of my phone and then it gives it more power and I don't have to carry around a different blob with a cable in order to do that and that's worth it to me, then I can't stop you from buying this product. Mm-hmm. However, I think this is a terrible product. Yep. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, it's not that big a battery. No. Inductive charging is super inefficient. Which means that it's not going, it's going to lose a bunch of what's in the battery and not transfer it properly to the phone. If you look at how much it will refill a phone, like it's, it's really not very good. Like it won't refill your phone from nothing. It'll get it up some, but it won't refill it. The stats I saw suggested only the mini could get a full recharge. Yeah. And I'm just going to top it off by saying if you've got a big heavy battery blob in your pocket, is it really that much more work to also have a little cable and have an efficient data transfer? Like, and and the answer, again, if the answer is yes, I just don't want that. I want this. It's super clean and simple. I get it. That's why Apple makes it. That's why they sell it. And you should get it. 
But I would say for most people, if you want a battery to carry with your iPhone, there are better options that are going to charge it more and charge it more efficiently and cost less. So that's what I think about the MagSafe battery pack. I'm glad for the people who are excited about it and they know who they are, but I would not buy one of these. Uh, if somebody gave me one, I guess I might use it, but like I would never buy one. It, it seems like a, a, a really bad value to me. I, yeah, like I agree. If you're the type of person that wants it, you know you want it, and it's probably this is probably everything you wanted. But I agree with you. I think it's expensive. I think it's wild that the charger that's best for it, you don't get it with it for a hundred dollars. Um, I don't think it <laughs> yeah. looks that great. I think it's super thick, and the battery's small, and it won't charge my. If I'm gonna buy any of these products, I want to get at least one full recharge of my phone out of it. Yeah. Otherwise, I would look elsewhere. Um, and plus, look, I'm not a MagSafe charging person anyway. Uh, I am a PopSocket user. I use the regular PopSocket and the magnetic PopSocket. And uh, I, so, you know, I am a MagSafe charging person. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my my iPhone um, has not been plugged in more than it was plugged in when I was on vacation because <laughs> I didn't bring a MagSafe charger with me on vacation. And I, I came back to the MagSafe charger. And I'm like, oh, MagSafe charger. I like it. I like it. But yeah, the, the truth is that this is, and we're getting reaction to this in our, our chat room right now too. Like, this is it. The reason you buy this is because you don't care that it's inefficient and you don't care that it's it's thick. The point is it snaps on magnetically and it puts more juice in your phone. And then you can take it back off and you just want to keep it as simple as possible. And it is, it is as simple as possible. You pay for that in numerous ways. But if like, that's your top priority is just, I want it as simple as possible. This is the product for you. And so I, I, and that's why I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm just saying that like, if you're somebody who wants to save money and get a better product, like there's literally, you can spend less money and get something better, a lot better than this thing. So that's your trade-off and just be aware of it. Like my, any, if I'm irate about this product at all, it's because I think a bunch of people are going to buy this, uh, who are just wandering into an Apple store and it'd be like, Oh, this looks really great. And assume that it's better than it actually is when there are much better options. But, you know, that's life. That happens all the time, that people buy things that are more expensive and not as good because they're in front of them or because they've got the right brand name on them. So that, I, I'm, I just, I wanted to let it out there that, like, it's great that this product exists. I wouldn't buy it in a million years. This isn't saying that if you want it, that it's bad or you shouldn't get no, it. It's go, just different. Go ahead and, well, I'm going to reference back to uh, last week's show. One of the things I loved about last week's show is that you and Merlin talking about uh, what we had said the previous week, which is like, look, if it makes you happy, <laughs> right? Like if ba- putting a beta on your phone makes you happy, go ahead and do it. Life's too short. Put it on your phone. If this product is the one that ma- delights you, buy it. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, but I do want to put out a note of caution there, which is there's actually a lot of asterisks attached to this product and if you're somebody who would rather get a better deal and is willing to trade some of the simplicity for more battery power and uh and less money there are better options than this i got some reports from bloomberg debbie Wu is reporting an ltpo display will be featured on at least one iphone 12 this type of display is similar technology that was using the apple watch so it's it apple allow watch for yeah. variable and therefore higher refresh rate displays as yeah. well looking at promotion. we talked about this i feel like we speculated about this on the upper opposite side for the apple watch and it's mm-hmm. the idea that the apple watch has an oled display 
that allows this refresh rate to be variable, which on the Apple Watch, what they want is they want to crank it way down, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to save when they're not animating something on the screen, they want to crank the frame rate way down and save energy. And this is saying now that Apple, and this is Apple invented technology, which is interesting, Apple patented technology. So other other device makers are, are creating like- I did not know that. LTPO-like technology, huh. but I believe LTPO itself was an, came from Apple. Um, but you know, in the end, this technology will be everywhere anyway. And there are other LTPO phones and stuff, but my understanding is that Apple's the one that kind of like has a bunch of the patents and that there are like alternate versions of it that don't use Apple's patents, but it's a, it's a clever idea. I think it originated because of the Apple watch, mm-hmm. but regardless of all that, the idea here is how do we do a ProMotion OLED display on an iPhone? And the answer is you use this technology to do that. The uh, next iPhones as well will feature camera improvements to the whole line and a smaller notch, which is, I think, all stuff that we were assuming. Makes it seem a lot less like a uh, a minor update cycle, huh? Yeah, I've seen people saying that this seems minor, but I think they're not understanding, it's, I think, the difference that this high refresh rate display could feel in an iPhone. Is I, this not the usual iPhone story too, which is yeah. that there's definitely a group of people who think that the only way that the iPhone has a major update is when it looks different. And those people exist and then those consumers exist, right? Where it's like, I, what I care is that it looks different. And then there's the truth of it, which is Apple often changes the exterior design on a year where the interior isn't, I mean, the the specs aren't as radically different. And then the next year, the phone looks exactly the same, but is actually quite different in terms of what it's doing. And um, some people are like, oh man, but this is so much different. And other people are like, eh, it's the same as last year, whatever. And it's just, we're all looking for different things in our phones. But this sounds like this is not a, you know, 12S boring update kind of thing. If Mm -hmm. they're putting in ProMotion and improving cameras across the line and reducing the size of the notch, like that's a lot of stuff going on in the iPhone. Mark Gurman says that this display technology in the iPhone could actually result in the first always-on display in an iPhone as well, right? Which is goes really back to the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. right? You know what you want to do is keep it on, but but basically knock off the disp- the uh, the refresh rate because you just want to keep some some static images on, and maybe you update it every second, <laughs> but you know you're not doing it thirty or sixty times a second, and you save a lot of power that way. So if they can bring the always-on watch technology to the iPhone. Sounds great to me. I, I've been hoping that they would do that since they went to OLED. Mark Gilman also suggests uh, that the mini LED screen MacBook Pro refresh will be coming sometime between September to November. So we're just getting further reports about this thing now, which I think continues to lend to its yeah. certainty around that period. And I think this is, this is Mark Gurman's newsletter again. So thank you to Power Mark Gurman for putting his newsletter out over the weekend so that we get to be the uh, first podcast up to talk about all of his reports. Love it. Thank you, Mark, friend of the show. Um, <laughs> and uh, the detail I gleaned from this also is that the mini LED screen has been kind of targeted as the holdup. Yes. That, that this is an ambitious set of laptops that are using the same mini LED uh, technology that we saw in the 12.9 inch iPad Pro M1 iPad Pro, um, which was uh, which looks great. It's an amazing screen, and you try to imagine it on a Mac, and you're like, "Wow, that'll look great," and I'm sure it will. But it's also led to some production challenges, so it may not be as much about the legacy nodes 
after all. And it's about the ambition of that display uh, that's led it to be kind of uh, slipped in, slipping to the fall. But, you know, a fall MacBook Pro announcement is not um, outside of the rumors that it would come sooner. It's actually like the right time for that kind of announcement, right? It's not surprising at all that you might get some fancy new MacBook Pros in the fall. That That happens a lot, it seems to me. Ming-Chi Kuo is reporting that we will see Mini-LED come to the 11-inch iPad Pro next year, which I, I don't know if I would have expected, Kuo, because Kuo seems to suggest that there will be new iPad Pros next year, like that yeah. there will be a refresh to the 12.9 um, at the same time. Which is... Well, so here's the thing. If there's going to be an M2 and we're going to see it across the Mac line, and they're going to rev... This is the question, right? It's the chip question to me. If they're going to do an M2, and these MacBook Pros are probably M1X, right? They're, they're the M1 technology scaled up with more cores. Uh, whatever they call it, we'll, we'll call it M1X for now. We'll see what they call it. If there's an M2, which is just next generation, it's based on the next chip generation, it's going to power the next generation of MacBook Airs and all of that, and other low-end systems, they'll be faster than the M1. But they're not the high-end ones. This is like the lower-end chip next generation. If they do that, and there is a rumor that we'll get to in a second about an M2 MacBook Air coming in 2022. If, they, if they're taking the new t uh, chip architecture that rolls out in the fall with the iPhone and doing the more cores version of that for the low-end Macs and the iPad Pros, well, if you've got an M2, why would you not... Even if you don't add a whole lot else to the iPad Pro, if you're making the M2 anyway, why would you not put the M2 in the iPad Pro at some point during the annual processor cycle so it may be that we see updates to the macbook air and the ipad pro and some other products that are using that base chip now that they're all on the same chip it may just be in apple's best interest to move them all to the new chip every year i wonder so on that chip um there's been more reports this one comes from uh well i've got this from nine to five mac they're reporting that a leaker known as Dylan DKT suggests that Apple will release a new MacBook Air in various colorways with an M2 chip in the first half of 2022. This is, you know, similarly, we this this kind of reporting is coming from a lot of areas, uh, but it's just one of the many reports that makes this suggestion, and it makes a lot of sense, right? That like there is the M number, right? It's kind of it's the iPhone model, right? That there's the lowest chip is the one with just the letter and the number, and then they add a another letter on the end and then that's more powerful and goes into the other like to, to ipads and stuff like that this is how i've done it before yeah and this so same thing right the um what we don't know right okay apple silicon there's the m1 that's literally it that's literally it we have rumors but all we have is one single chip so what we don't know about apple silicon going forward is where to from here and some of that is, what does a more powerful Apple chip on a Mac look like? Is that M1X? What does it look like? We don't know. We got some ideas. There are rumors. Great. We don't know for sure. What is, uh, you know, and where, what's the path for things like the Mac Pro? All of that is a, is a question. The other big question is, what is the cycle? What is the cadence of releases for this stuff? Uh, and what does that do to Apple's product releases? Because remember, with Intel... Apple couldn't control when the new generations of chips came out and came out in the volumes that Apple needs in order to ship, right? All that was up to Intel. But on the iPad and iPhone side, like Apple 
does the chips for the products. And when the product that needs the chip comes out, the chip is ready and the chip goes in the product and the product ships like Apple controls the whole thing. So with M1, we've seen now M1 is in all of these different products. So how often do you go up a, a generation? How often, when will we see M2? And when will we see M3? And is it going to be on a regular cycle? Is it going to be every year or every 18 months or whatever? Given that the iPhone chip cycle is 12 months, right? There's always a new iPhone every year with a new chip design. I, I kind of feel like the M1, M2 cadence is going to be annual. And if that's true, then... I'm really interested to see what Apple does with product refreshes, right? That's the other mystery here is this rumor is about new MacBook Airs. Well, we just had new MacBook Airs. So, and, and it's not quite a year. It's a little bit later, but like we just had a new MacBook Air. We're going to get a new MacBook Air again. We just had a new iPad Pro. We're going to get a new iPad Pro again. But like maybe the answer is yes. And maybe us being used to these kind of long uh, time periods between Apple product updates, especially on the Intel Mac side, have gotten us sort of down on Apple's ability to refresh its devices. But now that Apple's making its own chips, I mean, you could argue that once that that chip is out there, it actually, you need to update your systems because it's going to make those old systems look bad. That, you know, it's like, wait, there's an M2. Why is this still in the M1? Why is this not an M2? So I'm, I, I don't know what they're going to do. But um, I think that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to over the next year is like starting to figure out what is Apple's product release philosophy for these things. If Apple could control everything and now they can, they're not under Intel's thumb. How often would they do a new MacBook Air? Maybe it's every year and it's M1, M2, M3, M4. And it's just like, it's just like a new iPhone. There's a new Mac, there's a new everything every year with the latest year's chip in it. Is that their, that's ambitious, but they could do it. Is that the plan? We'll see. But um, I am excited because give me those colorful MacBook Airs. Looking forward to that. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. Hey, did you forget that thing at the store? You know, you've, you got home and you're like, oh, darn it. We, we wanted, I forgot that those chips. I forgot the drinks. It doesn't matter because now you can get snacks, drinks, household essentials, whatever you want in 30 minutes with DoorDash. You know already that DoorDash connects you with the restaurants you love right to your door. But you can also now get those grocery essentials that you need with DoorDash too. Everything delivered in under an hour. You can get it right at your home. Ordering is super easy. No matter what it is you want to order, you just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. They have over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, so you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. Jason, can you tell uh, Upgrade listeners why they should check out DoorDash? Well, you know, sometimes you just don't want to go out and mm-hmm. there's not food in your home. We actually just had this when we came back from vacation. Oh, or perfect get, time. Or you get in a rut and you're like, oh, I hate everything. Everything is terrible. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to go out, right? That's the thing is you could go out if things are open out. You could go do takeout. 
Uh, and the difference here is that you just don't need to go outside. You you, you go on the internet and go boop, 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 and add all the ingredients in uh, or, you know, all the different items off the menu and you give them a time. And if you want to do it in advance, it'll just show up magically at the time you want to eat. I, that happens a lot in our house where it's sort of like we do our meal planning in the morning of like, what is the plan for dinner? Because if you wait around until it's dinner time and nobody has a plan, it gets real bad. So, and you can use DoorDash then. <laughs> Or you can use DoorDash to order that thing in advance after everybody's agreed on it. So uh, I think it's really great when you hate everything and you just want food and you don't want to go outside to get it. Guess what? They'll bring it to you and they'll put it outside your door. I love it. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. Just download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the U.S. and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. That's 25% off up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the App Store, use the code UPGRADE2021 if you're in the U.S. and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. One last time, UPGRADE2021 for the U.S., UPGRADE AUS for Australia. That will get you 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish up with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. George would like to know, why do you think, and this is actually relating to that last point that we spoke about, why do you think there are or seem to be more public Apple leakers than there ever was before? I don't know. I mean, Apple's a big company and there are there have always been people within Apple who have wanted to get information out because they get, I think, excited about it, right? And we had a long discussion about this a while ago. Like, consider the source. Where's this coming from? But there are definitely people who just enjoy the fact that they know things the public doesn't know and like to like leak that stuff out. Um that and those are the real Apple leakers, right? Apple leakers are people who work at Apple and then leak information to the outside. That's the true leak. Um, I think the difference now is that not only is Apple bigger and higher profile, but that information that might have just kind of laid there, um, unless it was to a very particular person in a media, a position of media authority, now it's so much easier to be a person with information from a friend or a friend of a friend and put it on Twitter and put it on YouTube. And I think that that makes a difference is that it's just yep. easier for it to get out. And there's more and clout to, available to you too yeah. than there was before for that, for those reasons. I feel like, you know, like there's, there seems to be an increasing reason for somebody to want to be the person who gives that information to the world more so yep. than there was years ago. Yeah. And I think that there's also, you know, the same thing that motivates somebody on the inside to leak that information is the thing that motivates somebody to set up a Twitter account or whatever and uh, or a YouTube channel or whatever it is and uh, and get that information out there. The Twitter stuff is really interesting because that's just a completely anonymous. At least the YouTubers are like people and you see them and they talk. But the Twitter accounts are generally these kind of anonymous accounts. And I think that really is just this chain of events that just used to not happen, or at least used to not happen in public, where somebody hears something from a contact, and maybe they tell their friends, oh, you know what, I heard about Apple. And now they post it to Twitter, and the whole internet sees it. So that's part of it, too. Now, I also am fascinated by that because they're risking their friend, their source. They're risking their job <laughs> over what like and and if you're just a person a random person on twitter 
Like, what are you even getting out of it? Like, your random Twitter account is popular? Like, I guess people are excited by that. But I don't know. That That's the dangerous part of this, is that the people at Apple, the more information that comes out, the easier it is to figure out who is leaking that information. And there's also just so much wrong information there. That also happens, right? In, in, there's a lot of stuff that people yeah. could just guess at, and there's just incorrect well, stuff. And even even the stuff that we've seen that is uh, that like what we just talked about before the break, that's um, it it could be real or it could just literally be a respinning of existing stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's no real way to know that. That's mm-hmm. part of the problem. So you know you get restatements. And the other thing about about right and wrong is sometimes the people who are judged as right because they get things right all the time are are less legitimate because as we've talked about when we discuss Mark Gurman like things change inside Apple so you get there's there's a I forget what site it is that records like everybody's right and wrong predictions but like there are a lot of wrong predictions that were probably right at the time Mm-hmm. And then they change direction. And I know that seems weird of like, well, if it didn't happen, it's a wrong prediction. Well, it's like, but if Apple, at the moment that that was reported, Apple planned on that being what would happen. And then things changed and it, you know, like air power, right? Like <laughs> Apple's working on air power. I mean, just because air power didn't come out doesn't mean that they they didn't work on it. They thought they were going to release it and they didn't. And that happens internally a lot. They rarely announce the product and then don't ship it. But internally, they change direction all the time. They remove features all the time. So sometimes the people who are wrong are actually the most accurate because reality reflects the end result of the process, whereas these rumors are based on an earlier point in the process. It's like I understand why people get frustrated with, like, say, some of the stuff that's written on Bloomberg and how it's written, but this is why, right? Like, they have to say at least one of things may change, all that kind of stuff. Like, it has to be couched a little bit because they're a much bigger um, publication, and they know that things can still change. So they, they, I think they shy away from definites for that reason. I think that it's potentially a more responsible way of doing the reporting if you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It gives us it gives us grist for the mill, which is great. Yeah. Um, the challenge is it's more noise, and weeding. That, that's why we are always going to give more weight to reports from Mark Gurman and Ming Chi Kuo because they're not anonymous and they have a very good track record, and I think they have multiple sources. And it doesn't mean they're always right, but I think that they are usually accurate in reflecting what is going on at any given time even though those things can change and it's nice to it's nice to know that stuff in advance because it gives us so much to chew on on this podcast but it, it gets dicier when there's sort of random things that come through that that sometimes again sometimes just don't come to fruition or are just restatements of what we already knew Rajiv asks, do you think that other Apple services like airplay and fitness plus would make it to Amazon's fire sticks in the future? You know, there was just an, a report about how there's a new Fire TV powered TV or two that that have AirPlay on them. So, oh, they have like, AirPlay on the TVs. Yeah, so I feel like this I is already happening. Thing. I think, as far as I can recall, AirPlay only exists on televisions. Like, because there are a bunch of TVs that can do AirPlay, but I think it's right. just televisions. I can't no, think of any sticks. I, I don't. I don't think that's two. I think Roku. Roku lets can do AirPlay. AirPlay? Okay, great. Yeah. 
And, you know, so so Rajiv's like asking about Fitness Plus, and one of the reasons I want to put this in there is you won't need Fitness Plus anymore because well, Fitness Plus the, will work with AirPlay, right? Well, now it works with AirPlay. It's not quite as good, but mm-hmm. it does work with that. And I also think that it's only a matter of time. Like, would Apple find a way? If Apple finds a way to get... Uh, the, the challenge is that it's like the TV app. So does fitness really fit in the TV app? Maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think if Apple cares about it enough, Apple will put it in there. And failing that, yes, there's AirPlay. I, I think Apple is is not inclined to let any of its stuff not be available. Like they've they've flipped all the way around on this. But I think AirPlay is probably you're right, Mike. The the path that is the easiest because it's like, well, we've got our entertainment offerings here and AirPlay. And AirPlay gets us everything else that's on our devices. I expect that's one of the reasons they added AirPlay to Fitness Plus. Because yeah. where where else would you be airplaying it to? Exactly. Right? Uh, it, you don't need to airplay it to an Apple uh Apple TV because it exactly. already can already do it. So yeah, exactly. That's all part of the all part of the plan. Well, I mean, you can do it to a Mac now, Mike. <laughs> yeah. You can airplay it to a Mac. Is now. the fitness app not on the Mac? No, I don't think okay. so. I always get surprised when I see it on my iPad. I think it's got the wrong icon on the iPad because I can't get my activity rings on my iPad. It won't show me them. I, it's I know, just, which, you know, which frustrates me immensely, but yes. Brian asks, why do you think Disney are not putting their new Pixar movies behind the Premiere Access like they have for their live-action movies? Do you think Disney is losing faith in Pixar? I listen to Brian. Um, Brian. I think this probably has more to do, I don't know for sure, but my guess is it has more to do with contracts that the Marvel movies especially have very specific profit participation for people involved with them and they were made for theaters and that it is a a harder thing to unravel those contracts and just put them on uh on disney plus rather than what they've also been doing which is doing this hybrid release so like black widow was in theaters and on disney plus and if you just put it on disney plus for free I think it's a harder sell in theaters than if you put it on Disney Plus for 30 bucks. But I also think everybody involved with that expected that to be in theaters and had their uh, their their money <laughs> based on how well it did in theaters. And they probably had to renegotiate to do premiere access. But at least mm-hmm. there, it's still a ticket sale of a sort. So it was probably easier to make that deal. So I think that's probably part of it is that the contracts on Pixar movies are probably not quite as complex as on a Marvel movie. I was thinking um, there hasn't been a Pixar movie that has been big enough, I think. I think there may be some truth in that, that if it was like a really big If it was uh, Toy franchise. Story 5, they would mm-hmm. put it behind Premiere Access. But like, what have they done? Soul, Luca, and Onward? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that those movies... Well, they they could have been big in theaters, but that was a different era, and and they also didn't get the hybrid release, right? It was really much more like this is just on Disney Plus now. But I think this is not me saying yeah. um, that these aren't good movies, right? But I think right, that there are tiers of Pixar movies. Blockbuster. And these Pixar, aren't, Pixar movies, yeah. you know, these aren't those, right? Like right. I think, for example, if Inside Out was coming out now, they wouldn't put it on Premiere Access. Interesting. Even though I love well, that movie... I just don't know if it like would necessarily sell itself without you know because I remember when they spoke about Inside Out, everyone was like, "What is going on at Pixar? It doesn't make any sense." 
right? And like it was, I remember that being like a conversation at the time. Like this, I don't understand what this movie could possibly be. Um, so yeah, I just think so, that they haven't had that hit or what they think might be that hit during this period of time. And I think first off, well, let's see what happens with the next Pixar release, and are they going to be in a situation where that will be in theaters and they will also do it with uh, Disney Premier Access? Because this is a model going forward. It's going to be really interesting to see how Disney handles Premier Access because it's not the same as putting everything on HBO Max, right? Premier Access, it's thirty bucks plus you have to be a subscriber mm-hmm. to get that movie the same time it's in a theater. Uh, will they do that with other stuff? Because it's less money than a family of four would pay. Because I looked, we could have gone and seen Black Widow in Hawaii, um, and it would have cost us forty bucks. And we paid thirty, and we watched it on the TV in the condo instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was fine with that. It's thirty bucks is not nothing, but but uh, if you're a family, it very rapidly is actually a money saver. And Disney keeps all that money and doesn't share it with theaters. So there are arguments to be made that the future model might be something more like the Disney Plus Premier Access rather than the HBO, let's just throw it on streaming that they tried this year. Um, I do think, though, that another part of this to keep in mind is who the audiences are. um, Disney is building Disney Plus as a reliable place for content, uh, including animation and for families. That is the company's number one priority. And I think they look at Pixar as a great way to build that service, Pixar releases. I think that Pixar releases aren't going to all just become Disney Plus releases. I think there will be, I mean, what you said, Mike, I think there's a, in the long run, and this is one of the fascinating things about Black Widow and uh, versus the Disney Plus Marvel's TV shows is going forward, we have to figure out what is a movie and what is a TV show? Because the Marvel stuff, it's like, it looks like they spend the money on the TV shows that they spend the money on the movies to do. Like they, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, they're, they're quite comparable in terms of the material. It really is more about format. So it's like, what is a movie and what is a TV show? And, and, and with Pixar, I would say uh, Pixar does, there is a Pixar based TV show, but it's not produced by Pixar. Now that's the monsters Inc show, but like going forward, they need to decide like, what's a Pixar movie that goes in theaters and is like a hit. And what's a Pixar movie that we make for Disney Plus? And I think they should probably make both. Because why not? Like, because it's so important to put content on Disney Plus. So anyway, I don't know what that's going to be in the future and what their strategy is. It's not an easy question. It's very hard. I, I, I don't envy them having to figure that out. But what I will say is, um, I think Disney is more willing to use Pixar content to drive Disney Plus and make it more valuable than it is to do that with like Marvel releases, especially since they've got Marvel um, shows to release on Disney Plus and they probably got contractual issues and stuff. But this is, but Brian is picking at a very interesting uh, corner of this whole issue, which is like, what do you do with your movies? Do you put them on your streaming service? Do you charge for them? Do you not put them on and just put them in theaters? How does that all work? And over the next few years, we're going to see everybody experimenting with this. And Seku asks, have either of you run into issues with the two terabyte iCloud storage limit? I personally haven't, but I can see my parents running up against this limit in the future. 
So I took a look today. We have a two-person family. We both have multiple devices that go into it for backups, probably like three each. And we're only using 500 gigabytes of that two terabytes. I think you'd struggle to fill two terabytes. I don't really know what you'd be saving in iCloud uh, to hit that, to be honest. I mean, photos, I guess. I have a lot of photos and stuff, and it's not an issue for me yet. Um, I think Apple will... I'm sure there are some edge cases, but I feel like Apple will increase this limit over time because they'll recognize it and they'll find a way to charge you for it. And the truth is, if you're in the big bundle, you get two terabytes and you can add two terabytes. So there is actually a way to get four terabytes of iCloud space, right? Mm -hmm. So I I don't think it's going to be a big issue. And if it is an issue, I'm trying to think of how you would have that much data and have to have it all be in iCloud. Um, So I don't know. I, I... my guess is that it's not going to be a big deal, but I'm sure there will be an edge case. It'll be like, oh no, I, I, it's not the bundle's not available where I live, and I hit the two terabyte limit, and it all has to be in iCloud, and you know that too bad for them, I guess. But I think Apple will continue to grow this over time because it's more money for Apple. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, you can send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the Relay FM members Discord, which you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade, Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you'll also get longer ad-free versions of every episode of Upgrade, which is really great. You can sign up. It's $5 a month or $50 a year. Thank you so much if you have signed up. We really, really appreciate your support. Thanks to DoorDash, Privacy, and Instabug for their support of this week's episode. And thank you for listening, of course. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mark Curling.